Uh, morning, guys. Welcome to another Sunday morning service. Um, anyone visiting with us, as we always do, we welcome you again. And for those who are members, welcome back. Good to see you guys again. Um, you guys have ha seen me twice already, or oh, is it the second time for August? Um, don't get worried, Mark. It's only one off. <laughs> um, it's interesting. Anybody remember the, what Rob spoke on last week? Philippians. You remember the intro? Who you made mention to? Anybody? Lewis Hamilton. Yes. And guess what? He missed out one thing. Yes, you have the confused look. Lewis Hamilton's grandparents is from Grenada. I just had to kind of <laughs> slip that in. <laughs> yes, Neil, I just had to slip that in there. Yes. I, I couldn't believe he could have forgot such a key bit of information. Um, but today, um, this actually uh, came about the message I'm going to kind of share with you guys came, what, two months ago while listening to the news. Well, actually, not listening, but just in, you know, being an airshot of the news. Um, they mentioned the, the, the name Israel Falau. I don't know if you guys, anybody here know that name? You recognize that name? Yeah? Um, well, just to give you a quick um, little history on Israel. He is an Australian rugby player. And um, what happened, he posted on social media um, some comments that um, wasn't deemed um, positive towards uh, those of a certain um, lifestyle. And as a result of that, he lost his contract with his uh, team, the Wallabies, and subsequently Rugby Australia. Um, I'm not yet, and the issue at um, which he was kind of, you could say, I'm using the word loosely, punished for, is mentioning homosexuals. He listed a, list, um, and a group of other things that happened, but I'll, go to, I'll mention that later on. Um, and as we know, the issue of homosexuality is a very sensitive topic and issue today, but that's not the reason why I'm here today. I ain't going to be speaking about that, so you don't have to worry. Um, but I'll be speaking on the question which all of us at some point would have to ask ourselves. Have you counted the cost of following Jesus? And that, in that we look at, I'll be uh, focusing on the verses in Luke 14, 25 to 33. Now, um, if you're familiar with that uh, chapter, in the start, in the beginning, couple of verses is Jesus went to a prominent Pharisee and um, they were looking to see what he would have done, you know, because he asked him, is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? Um, and if you know anything about the Sabbath, uh, about the Pharisees, they were very kind of legalistic in their outlook. And Jesus came and he was kind of changing everything. Um, so then he asked him another question. Would you, um, if your kid or your animal on the Sabbath, they were to fall into a well, would you not rescue it? They still didn't say anything. Then he moved on further on in the passage, and he kind of dealt with the issue of raising that there was a banquet, and this 
a man, he sent out a servant, and he said, invite his friends. He prepared a, um, this great banquet, and when he was ready, and he sent them, and he said to them, you know what, come and let's partake. They all gave reasons why they shouldn't. So he said, go out into the highways and byways and invite all those, because those I've invited, they would not partake of what I have prepared for them. Which brings us to um, what we're going to look at today, which is Luke chapter 25 to verse 33. Now great multitude went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brother and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, least after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who sees it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to come to meet him who comes against him with 20,000, or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has, all that he has cannot be my disciple. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you today, Lord, that we can gather in your name, Lord. And, uh, you know, Lord, if it's just one person who leave here today and they kind of grasp what the message is, Lord, I thank you. But Lord, even more so than that, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, our minds, Lord, and uh, you would meet us where we are, Lord. You would help us, Lord, to count the cost of what it means to follow you, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that you will enable me, Lord, to do a good job of sharing your word today, Lord. Jesus and Jesus. Amen. So, we got to verse, uh, we started at verse 25. Though Jesus, as I kind of, in the introduction, brought you to verse 25, now where Jesus was, and if you, if you go back to verse 12 coming forward, Jesus has been teaching and um, parables in, in spirituality, spirituality and morality at the same time. And now he changes tack. And... Uh, he started to challenge those that was listening directly. So he wasn't just wanting them now to follow him. He wanted them now to start checking yourself or looking at why you are following me, right? And then we'll move quickly on to verse 6. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brother and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. So you see now Jesus put the pressure on them, just as if I stand here and I say, you know, you guys listen to me, that's all good and well, but guess what? If you want to come follow me or you want to, you know, come back next week, this is what you need to do. So, Jesus wanted to challenge them there and then, at that point to say, there is a cost to follow me. He didn't say that because he wanted to shock them. He was stating a fact. 
following me comes at a cost. And before we go any further, I would like us to just look at disciple and discipleship and see what that means. Now, a disciple in the simplest um, definition or term means a follower or pupil of teaching, a leader or a philosopher. The root and meaning it comes from, the root word of it is to be discipline, which comes from the Latin word discipulus, meaning pupil, which also provides the source of the word discipline. So the undergirding meaning is that you need to have discipline. As believers, we need discipline to see us through the end. And if that was a too much of like this, a generic meaning, you say, oh, that's good and well, then a biblical definition or world definition would look like this. It would be somebody who actively imitate both the life and teaching of the master. If you were to look at the disciples back then, you would see that they did that. Mark 16, 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Who is a disciple? One who is genuine and authentic in his or her desire to become as Christ, to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That in there is it. Nothing else. There's no room for anything else. You imitate Jesus as closely as possible. You don't, there's no room for you to put your own spin on what disciple means. Um, if you want to look more at like a reasoning or more adept meaning, you could say, well, for starters, it means you want to learn. So for us being here today, we're here because one, we want to learn. We want to, from someone teaching, um, we could do that by ourselves. But more so than anything else, we do that from the word of God. It's not what I say or what I believe, but what the word of God says ultimately. And we want to do that under someone who is more than adequately prepared to adhere to the word of God and to share it correctly and faithfully. Um, because if you, know, you guys listen to social media, you look at um, YouTube, there's a lot of doctrines going out there, and half, half of it does not prescribe to Scripture. Or when you put it compared to the Scripture, it doesn't stand up. Um, 2 Timothy 2.15 said, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That goes for all of us. So as a disciple, that's one of the things you need to be able to do. Psalms 119 verse 130, the unfolding of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. That's the psalmist telling you what his word does. For us today, that the same should be applicable. Also, what it means goes beyond just listening and learning, but application. And that's where we fail most of the time. We need to put what we learn, what we hear, into action by seeking to live our lives the way God expects us and wants us to live it by his grace. It's often the case, the case our Christian work becomes an exercise in listening and knowledge acquisition 
and nothing else. So what we do, we show up on Sundays and we're happy to listen. We walk out the door and there is no change. Um, there is no room for application and implementation, the word of God and what we heard. That means there's already a God in place and that is ourselves dictating how we should live our lives and not God. In doing so, you've done two things already. The first and the second commandments you broke. One God, no other God, idolatry. You've set up and created a God in the space of where the true and living God should be. Um, if you want to look at it again, you could go back to Exodus 20 and you'll see the Ten Commandments there. Um, so far, you may say all that is good and well. Um, is there a difference between somebody following and a disciple? You may say yes. You, some of you may say no. Well, a follower is not necessarily a disciple, but a disciple could be a follower. In that, the disciple follows after the master, but he adheres to the teaching. And not only adheres to it, but his aim is to communicate that to others. As disciples, or if we would like to call ourselves disciples of Jesus, that's what we do. We imitate his life and we share our beliefs with others. If you do all of that, you say, well, yes, that's all good and well. I've done all of that. But if there is no repentance and acceptance, we cannot claim to be disciples because we have missing the most essential element of it. Or more adequately put by the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is without discipleship. Cheap grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ. Living as opposed to costly grace. Costly grace confronts us as gracious as a gracious call to follow Jesus. It comes as a word of forgiveness to the broken spirit and the contrite heart. It compels a man to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow him. I have just given you meaning, the why, the who, the what, the reason, and the application right there. As a Christian, as Christianity grew, especially in the 60s coming forward and, and today, um, we've become so secularized and uh, temporal in our thinking and very worldly as Christians and as a church that we fail to be obedient and adhere to the word of God as we should. And we make the word of God become very cheap. And the price that was paid for it has been lost. Jesus dying on the cross was the greatest price ever to be paid. And today we kind of fling it wrong in his face. We wear crosses 
you know, we may have all of these things that we do, but it means nothing when it comes to where do you stand in terms of where your life matches up to Scripture and what the Lord expects of you. So in verse 26, when Jesus said to hate your parents, your friends, or your wife, your husband, your sons, your daughters, I know some of you may be saying, oh, that's good. I, I got liberty. I could go home and say, you know what the Bible said to hate you? No, I ain't saying that today. So don't go say you heard that today. Let me make that clear. What he's saying, the love you have for me compared to the love you have for anybody else. When they look at it, they would say, guess what? I think you hate me. You don't love me. Because when they see the way you relate to what the things of God says and how you stand up for them, they would say, you know what? I wish you loved me like that, but you don't. But Jesus is asking for that. And not only that, the fifth commandment says to honor your mother and your father. So the young ones here, you ain't got no excuse. Don't go again and say, guess what, mommy, daddy? The, the guy who spoke Sunday said, no, 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 no. Honor your mother and your father. Yes, so your days may be long. That's the only commandment with a promise. And if you do anything or say anything against that, you've just created your own doctrine, created your own theology, and you're teaching heresy. But he didn't stop there. Because some of you could be like, yeah, you know what? I don't care. I could challenge anybody. Mikey, bruv, I could tell you to your face, you need to repent. You're sitting. Oh, oh, good. All right. But guess what he said? He didn't leave it there in case you got that one down. He said what? Could you lay your life down? Could you give your life down? I'm going to lay my life down for you guys. But could you lay your life down for me? Are you willing to give your life up? Now, this one is not so easy as saying, you know what? I could tell anybody to their face because I'm big and bad. You know what? You need to repent. You're living in sin. You're this, you're that. And then you walk away. But you didn't even do it in love. Jesus is saying, before you follow me, take time, sit down, count the cost. Because what I'm requiring of you, when you say you want to follow me, is not an easy ask. Matthew 28, 19. And this, this two verses, I think it's so... Uh, for me, when I do these things, I kind of like these verses because I feel I should just read it and just say bye-bye. And that should be enough to tie you guys over. You go, you, 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 you kind of ponder on what was said. But not, let me read it. Let me read what it says. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Not some things I have commanded you. In case you could do the 99. But the one to make it 100 you couldn't. He said all things. And behold I am with you always to the end of the ages. So even with that, being a disciple of Jesus, he's saying, you know, I, I want you to do all these things. Go out and do all these things. But guess what? I'm not leaving you to do it all by yourself. I am with you till the end. So you got me still. 
verse 27, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Speaking into the time when Rome perfected the crucifixion, the culture, the Jewish waiting for a Messiah, and the context, a king to save them, the crowd that was following Jesus knew what he meant when he said, whoever does not bear his cross cannot follow me. Remember, when the Romans crucified a prisoner, it wasn't bad enough that the condemned man was going to face the most excruciating and painful death. To punctuate it, he had to carry his cross. He's showing submission to Rome. Jesus is not just leaving room for any misunderstanding or misinterpretation. Bear your cross and follow me. No two ways about it. You don't get to choose one. You don't get any out of it. We have to. Bear your cross. But in Matthew 11.30, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As much as Jesus is requiring this of you, he's saying, come. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Because what he's saying in essence, I've already got this. Jesus warning them as well, those back then and for us today, is that just being an avid follower or someone interested in following Jesus or your over-enthusiasm in terms of following him, Jesus is saying, you know what? I want more than that. I'm questioning beyond your enthusiasm, beyond your avid interest in me, beyond your superficial interest in me. I want more. I want a relationship that goes beyond. When I say, what's your name? I know it's not just Pete, Peter. You know why they call me Pete. You know when they started to call me Pete. Or when I say rich, you know why I say rich. It's not just because I know him or they introduced me like that. It's because we have a relationship. Jesus wants a relationship. He wants it with Linda as well. Yeah, even more so, Richard. <laughs> yeah. Being a, being a disciple means we have to submit. For us today, it's a struggle. You guys could, under, could understand this. When you ask somebody to either sacrifice something or to give up something or to submit to someone, it's a difficult ask. You say you go to church, I submit to my pastors. The pastor come and he asks you to do something and you're like, nah, where's the submission? I'm not, let me qualify that. Once it's biblically based, because some crazy stuff being asked out there. Um, as I said, I won't come to mind. This dude is a Creflo Dollar, multi-millionaire preacher. People are giving him out of his, you know, little that they have. And he wants to buy another jet and he won't dare. The, the congregation to buy it. Man, I would have leave that church. <laughs> anyway. Jesus wants us to submit. Submission is required. Is required. Verse 28. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first, count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it. 
lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who sees it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make, a, make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000, or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks condition of peace. Jesus said, all right, if you guys didn't understand what we were saying before, let me bring it so you could understand. Yeah? Back to Israel for love. Israel, you say you want to be a follower. All right, Israel, you got to share the gospel. But maybe even before I go to Israel, let me just back up a bit. And I'm going to give you guys a biblical example first in case you think, you know, what this guy is offering. All right, so let's go. The rich young, the rich young ruler, Mark 10, 17 to 31. And as he was sitting on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do? To inherit eternal life. Eternal life. And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the Ten Commandments. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not be a false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your mother and your father. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I have dealt from my youth. And Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possession. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom? And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. What is your young ruler, your rich young ruler in your life? That when Jesus said, give up everything to follow me, you would drop your head and your heart and you would walk away saying, Lord, I got too much, I can't give it up. He had everything. He, remember, this is someone who said, I, from my youth, I kept the commandments. So there isn't the issue with that. And maybe some of you could say the same. But what is going to make you count that course and say, Lord, you're asking me too much? Or as, as we like to say, what is too much? If you're, not, if you're not convinced by that one, I got another one. You guys know this guy very well. I introduce him by the name of Paul. He's a very known author of the New Testament. And you've been reading about him the last couple of weeks. You've, you've heard a lot said about him. But listen to this. Philippians 3, 7, 9. But whatever gain I had, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. 
Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. If you want, you can compare the two. You see the difference? One said, I'll give it up or count it loss for the Lord. That kind of, if you read it and you ponder on it a bit, you could say, you know what, this person knew. They knew the living God. They knew what he was about. Um, if you want to touch on just two more, John the Baptist, you don't hear much about this guy anymore, John the Baptist. Yeah, he paid a price. He was beheaded, you remember? Yeah, when the, when the birthday came, he, the, the king, um, I think was Herod at the time, he was in adultery, a uh, relationship, and then she said, what would you like? Because he was preaching against it, his head on a platter, and she got it. Um, or even Peter, Matthew 19, 27. Peter answered and said to him, we gave up everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus is everything. Jesus has to be our everything. Otherwise, it don't make sense following him. Because when the situations like what Sister Fiona is going through faces you, what are you going to do? Then you know Jesus is not everything. <laughs> if you could say that in any other word, then that is it. Because there's no way you could look. Because you put in your faith in some that could tell you, you know what, we could only give you X amount of, or do all of this. But ultimately, when you put your trust in God, you know whether you live or die is gain. Because if you leave here, you're with him. So, it's not an easy ask. But when we know who we serve, it becomes a lot more easier to get where we need to. All right, Mark, I'm going to make it current, so I'll go back to Filet. Yeah? So the 10th of April, 2019, he posted this on social media. Warning, drunks, homosexuals, adulterers, liars, fornicators, thieves, adulterers, hell awaits you, repent, only Jesus saves. But they picked up on one, one, homosexuals. The adulterers didn't write and say, hey, dude, what are you doing? The liars didn't say, hey, why are you pointing us out? But the issue current at the moment, two years ago he was warned, so they said, Mr. Israel, guess what? We're going to discipline you. So they did. They took away his livelihood. And the thing is, he's not just an average player. He's one of the best rugby players for the Australian team. Not only that, so they did that. Israel was happy to do that. Israel was like, you know what? I'm not going to give up my faith. So he went to GoFundMe to raise some funds, as they do these days. You, you want an avenue to raise some funds. You, guess what happened? What happened? They did. 
two million Australian dollars was raised. Listen to what they said. In trying to raise funds to cover his legal fees, Elwood was labeled greedy by fellow players, and GoFundMe shut down his fundraising campaign because they said it was in violation of their terms of service by promoting discrimination and exclusion. And all the donations will be refunded. So all that two million, all that two million he raised, they gave it back to the people. You may say that's the end of it. No, but anyway, this one, God is good because guess what? The Australian Christian lobby stepped in and raised some money for him. Bringing it home. Before I go, um, you guys remember a couple Easter Sunday? You guys remember Easter Sunday? Bowman in Sri Lanka, the church? Okay. Ashes Bakery? Yeah? Guess what? Oh, I seen that you guys know, I'm going to fast forward. Just, I think last week, they won the case, but they have actually, the activists who brought the case in the first place, for those who don't know about the case, let me just say, um, it is a bakery, it's a, a northern Ireland bakery, bakers, that uh, gay rights activists went to and asked for this cake to be baked with a gay theme on it, and they refused. And as a result of them refusing it, they took them to the Northern Ireland Equity Commissions for refusing to bake the, gay, the cake with the gay team. So as a result of that, they were going backwards and forwards in court. The court in ruled that the guys were correct, they were okay in what they did, they didn't discriminate, but now the activist says, you know, we're going to the European High Court. So I guess uh, the, it continues. In both cases, Israel and the archers did not relent in their desire to stay firm on their belief. Would you stay firm on your belief if it comes to that? And I ain't even talking somebody hitting you where it hurts the most, your pocket. Because they could easily say, you know what, Lord, thank you for providing for me for the last how many years. But guess what? That's too much money to lose. Or maybe not the finance was okay, but what's about public perception? These days is a big thing. Everybody does everything to protect their, their public image. You couldn't say anything wrong before in the social media and everybody start um, picking whole street before they... They start backstepping and say, no, 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 I didn't mean that. I meant this. So in terms of what you believe, if you say you serve the true and living God, where do you stand if somebody come now and they start, they start challenging you or decide, you know, what you're saying is outdated or it's discriminating or you prejudice in your, in your belief and your thinking? Where would you stand? Would you just start saying, hey, <laughs> guess what? You know what? Somebody, as you deal with that, are just going to be quiet. And that's the problem with the church. The church has been quiet for so long that all these issues happen, and now the church is fighting to deal with them. Because nobody had the courage or have the courage to, to stand up and say, I stand up for this or I believe in this. Instead of preachers trying to make money, 
Stand up for what is morally right in the sight of God. Not in your eyes. Everything comes at a cost. Every decision you make comes at a cost. And if you want another word to use, it's a consequence. Everything you do has a consequence. Sometimes the little decision you make, the consequences far outreach it. Because why? You didn't take the time, sit down. What would it cost you? But the way things are and the way the world runs now, guess what? Everything you do now, you have to come to cost. You go to sign a piece of paper. Why am I signing this? Where's the fine print? What did you say? Uh, just explain this last line here. This word, I don't, I'm not too happy. I'm not going to sign. Let me see my lawyer. But when it comes to Jesus and what you believe or should believe more than everything, anything else, you're happy to backtrack. You don't want to spend time reading your word. You don't want to get time to know the person you should be knowing about, the person you say you're following. And that's the challenge we have as believers today. We like airy fairy kind of, you know, following along anything blow or fancy. We kind of slipstream. Here you may say, oh, Peter, how could you dare stand there and say that? Because this is ecclesia. Here we focus on the word. I say it to all of you here because why? There's no application. You may know it, but do you apply it is a different thing. Mark, I hear you say again. I hear in your voice a lot today, yeah? Or is it, <laughs> or is it what you're thinking? All right, Mark, I know, I know. The examples I give, they're a bit far. Let me bring them closer to home, okay? All right. So, you meet this young lady or this young guy, and you're like, whoa, I'm in love. Thank you, Lord. You sent her. You sent him. And brother, sister, come along, and they say, Take time, consider what you're about to do. You, you, you <laughs> I look this way. Take time, <laughs> consider what you're going to do. Don't rush into anything. And they're telling you, oh, where angels tread, fools rush in. And you're like, nah, man. You get married, and all of a sudden, you're thinking why you didn't and why you shouldn't. And all of a sudden, you want to have counsel and you want to meet pastors. And pastors like, what are you talking about? You go, you tell, you go to your family and they say, but you said you love this person. Yeah, but take time, sit down, and consider the course of what you are about to do. All right. Hey, hold on, hold on. I ain't want no applause. No applause. No applause. No clapping. All right. So, I'm going to, me and my lovely wife, we say, okay. We love, we say, all right, we're going to get, we're married and we want a house and yeah. So, we say, all right, let's start our look. You know, it doesn't only apply to me. This is general, so don't take it too. Yeah. All right, honey. <laughs> yeah. So, you're scrolling down and you're looking at all these agencies. You're looking here and there and then you see this lovely house. And you're like, wow, that's my dream house. Lord Jesus, honey, we're going to get it. And then you look and you see the cost is 450. And you're like, okay, I ain't even got nothing even close to that in my account. But you call up in the, 
um, and you, you put in an offer, and you say, yeah, I want to put in an offer. And they said, uh, uh, Mr. Beggs, um, how much is, how much you got in your account? You, you can put down on, I've got uh, 10 grand. <laughs> Are you serious, sir? <laughs> Take time, sit down, count the cost. Everything we do, we have to take time to sit down and count the cost. You know, on our mission statement, in part, it does say this. I'm going to read it to you guys. I want you guys to go back and say that I'm quoting stuff out of... Well, our mission at Ecclesia states in part, we desire to equip the church to be able to disciple as Jesus commanded us so. I guess if you're a member, or you consider yourself to be a member here, that that shouldn't be new to you, me just reading that. You hear it on Sundays when they say it. As a church, we aim to do this, and outreach. Discipleship is one of the things I mentioned. So, if I never stood here today and said anything to do with discipleship, everybody here who have been with us for a while should know what is required of us, what is expected of us, of us and what it should mean and what it does mean. So, when we are confronted with the subject of discipleship and being asked to disciple, we should be willing to do so. We should be willing to take others under our wings and nurture them guide them, correct them in the word of God so they can also go out and do that um, not only that um, there's all, change is always inevitable at home, in church and when change occurs most times people don't like it they, they, they resist it a bit. And it's human nature to resist change. Nobody likes change. But it's not a means to say you get so upset that it takes away for what it should be about. I mean, if you want to bring it to us, we have a lot of change happening at the moment. And um, you may have a lot of people who don't agree with what's happening fully. But change is inevitable. It may not be the finished article in terms of what you want to see, but it's a start. You have to start somewhere. When they started to make the airplanes, if you guys remember the pictures, you wouldn't even go in an airplane today. You understand? So you start somewhere. Um, and for those who are implementing and orchestrating those changes, they are the ones who have to count the cost of what that means and what it looks like. Um, earlier, Mike mentioned 
uh, barley loaves. I'm part of it. Most of the stuff we do, we count the cost. We sit down and we reason. Um, in my personal life, for years, Rich and myself, we would sit down, coming close to the end of the year, and we would audit how the year went. Count the cost of what we lost and what we may have gained. Both spiritually and maybe in just our day-to-day -day life. We have to do that. In your spiritual walk, you sit down, you count the cost. What, is going to, what it is going to mean for me to continue to stand up on the word of God. So you see, Jesus gave them in the first couple of verses... You want to be my disciple, this is what it takes. But he didn't just leave it and then say, all right, fair enough, I told you. He came with the examples. I gave you the examples to work with. I actually thought that might have been too much. But I hope you remember those examples when you leave. But don't forget what it relates to in terms of being a disciple. I note, I never said anything when counting the cost to do with monetary gain. He had nothing to do with finance in this sense. Yeah, you could count the cost there too. Because you do have homes you run and stuff like that. But this one is solely to do with counting the cost of following Jesus. If you haven't, you're going to have to at some point. Because Jesus is going to want to know what kind of relationship we have. What relationship do I have with you, Peter? Is it just a superficial one? Is it good enough you stand up and say to people, oh, be a disciple? What about you and me? Where do you stand with me, Peter? It's all of us. I'm not exempted. Even more so, because I'm the one telling you guys about it. I'm the one sharing it. John 13, 34, 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people, not some people, all people would know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. On the pin in there, love. If I go to talk about love, knowing me, it's going to be a different message. So I'll leave it at that. Love one another like I love you. And you guys know what love in each other entails. Forgiveness. Grace. Love covers a multitude of sin. So as disciples, we call to love one another. Like Christ loves us. That might be just as difficult as saying, follow me with meaning, or follow me and mean it. Walk behind me like I walk behind Jesus, like you mean it. Counting the cost is not only a request, but is a prerequisite to following Jesus as our Lord and Savior. You can say, yes, you requested, Lord, yes, all right, I've done, but it's a prerequisite. 
You sit down and you count the cost. What does it mean, Lord? Jesus was absolute in what he said. He didn't say maybe or anything like that. He was absolute in, his, in what he said. Luke 14, 33. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Clear. I don't need to add anything to that. You want to be my disciples. You have to be willing to forsake all others. All. Not some. Not partially. Not maybe. But all. You know, and it's a good th the good thing with me, you guys always get to go home early. But as I said, <laughs> if you don't take anything away today, take this away. Being a disciple of Jesus, you have to come to course. Call the team back. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for your goodness and your love towards us, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that um, you haven't just left us to do this by ourselves, Lord, but you have enabled us by the Holy Spirit and with your word, Father. So we just pray, Lord, as we seek to serve you and to honor you, Lord, that we would spend more time in your word and get to know you by the virtue of your word, Father. And I just pray, Lord, that we continue to show love like you have shown us, Father. Jesus and Jesus, Lord. Amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.